morning, church. Okay, today's reading is from John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, um, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. How you doing this morning? Good. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Hello to everyone who's watching online as well. Got a question for you. Uh, how many of you believe in Bigfoot? <laughs> Go ahead. Just raise your hand. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Got some, some people here, yeah, believe in Bigfoot. I mean, this is the Pacific Northwest uh, up in the balcony too. This is Bigfoot country. Uh, all right, how many of you don't believe in Bigfoot? Uh, a little more there, a little more. Does anybody want to justify their belief one way or the other? Does anyone want to give a, give a testimony here? Baby. Baby? A maybe, that's what you said. I kept hearing baby, I'm like, I don't get it. Maybe, maybe, all right. Anybody want to justify not believing in Bigfoot? There a reason why you don't believe in Bigfoot? Why wouldn't you? Where's the body? <laughs> That's right. Where's the body? I, I don't know. Okay. I am not sensing a lot of belief here in the room on Bigfoot. So I guess I would just have to give him this advice here. Believe in yourself, even if no one else will. There's that sassy Sasquatch. Yeah. We're, uh, we're finishing up a series, a four-week series right now uh, that we have called, I never said that, and we're taking these four common encouragements that we have in our society that are really popular, and we're holding them up against the standard of a Savior who calls us to be like Him and to walk with Him in the truth. Now, some of these phrases Maybe we think they're derived from Jesus in some way or they related to something that Jesus said, but when we actually compare them with the words of Jesus, we see that what Jesus said is a quite a bit different than our own cultural idioms. And some of these phrases, we look at them, we're like, nope, there's no way. This did not come from Jesus in any way. But within our society, they tend to have as much authority in our lives as the words of Jesus should have. Here are the phrases that we've been looking at. The first one was, be true to yourself. And the next one that we had was, as long as you're happy. Followed by, follow your heart. And then today's phrase is, believe in yourself. What do you notice about these phrases. What do you notice about them? Yeah, they're all pretty focused on you and me. They're all pretty self-centered. Our society has mastered the ability to put our attention on ourselves. We have been steeped 
in those waters to think that we need to have our attention on ourselves all the time. Now, being self-aware is a good thing. It helps us to relate to other people when we're self-aware. But being self-aware is different than being self-centered. The biggest hurdle that you and I are going to have in following Jesus wholeheartedly is not our circumstances. It's likely not what we think about Jesus, whether we think he really is the son of God or not. The biggest hurdle that you and I are going to have in following Jesus wholeheartedly is getting over ourselves learning how to deny ourselves and to look toward Jesus instead for true life. That's what this whole series has been about, looking toward Jesus for true life. He is the center of the most important story that we tell and that we can be a part of. Now, when you look at these phrases... If we look at the converse of them, because there's a kernel of truth in all of these phrases for sure. But when we look at the converse of them, really what it ends up doing is giving us a little bit of a how, why, what, and who to experience the true life that Jesus is offering to us. So be true to yourself is like the how. How am I going to experience true life? Am I going to experience it by being true to myself? Well, I want to be honest with who I am, but I also need to deny myself and to be true to Jesus. The as long as you're happy is like the why. Why do I live this life? Do I live this life in order to have all of my desires fulfilled? Well, I want, uh, I want less conflict in my life, for sure. But the difficult things that I deal with in life actually make me more whole, like Jesus. The what is like the follow your heart. What should I be putting all of my attention on to experience true life? Should it be on my desires? Well, I want my desires to be engaged in what I do, but ultimately my heart needs to follow Jesus so that he can change my desires. And then today, the believe in yourself, that's like the who. Who is going to make all of this happen? Can I? If I just believe in myself, can I make it happen? Well, I want to have confidence in who God has made me. But ultimately, I need to trust that it's Jesus who's going to be able to do the things in my life that I can't do on my own. All of these things point back to Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, Mike, I am not the way. I am not the truth. And I am not the life, but Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So we wrestle with this in our hearts, though, I think. Something along these lines. It's not about you. Everything is about me. 
think we got a little bit of both of that in all of us. But this whole series has been about taking the attention off of ourselves and putting the attention more squarely on Jesus. And today, the phrase, believe in yourself, well, that's a pretty common phrase, right? I mean, it gets used in a variety of ways. Like maybe uh, we use it as like a general encouragement for people uh, to get them to be able to do something that we think that they could really do. Like, hey, just believe in yourself, kid. Or uh, we use it in more dramatic ways, right? Where we would say, if you just believe in yourself, then all of your dreams can come true. You can manifest them into being if you just believe enough. Now, there's a kernel of truth in here that confidence helps us give our best efforts. Confidence is a good thing to have. I want you to be confident in who God has made you, how God has equipped you, how he has given you certain experiences. God has made you in a wonderful, in a wonderful way. My kids uh, right now are playing basketball. We've got three kids that are playing basketball. And many evenings now, that's what our weeks look like. Two of the kids are playing basketball for the first time. And they're a little nervous when they first got into it. Uh, And even now, even during practices, you could see they're a little shy about when the ball's coming at them and they're ducking away and everything like that. It's one of those times where you're like, just believe in yourself. You can do this. Step into the ball. Catch it. Be aggressive with it. You are athletic. You can do the pass. You can practice and make that shot. That's a good way to be able to use this phrase to give that kind of encouragement. But if we think that we have everything within ourselves in order to bring about all of the success that we would want or that God would want for us, We are limiting ourselves because we're being driven by our past successes and failures in order to be able to understand what is even possible in our lives. God is able to do much more in our lives beyond our own expectations than what we're able to do for ourselves. Society says, believe in yourself. The cross says you can't do it on your own. You have to trust in Jesus. Let's take a look at our passage here. John chapter 7, verse 37. I'll read it again. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, literally it says he cried out, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him would, later to re- would be later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This passage has an element of reaching toward the past and then about mentioning something that's in the future, which every passage in scripture doesn't stand on its own. It's all connected to everything that's happening around it in the story, and it's all connected to the entire story of scripture, 
which is pointing us toward Jesus. The element of the past in this passage is when it talks about the festival. This festival that they were at at that time was the festival of tabernacles, or sometimes it's called the festival of booths. And this was one of the three great festivals that every Israelite was to celebrate. They were to gather in Jerusalem to mark this moment. And ultimately what it was to do was to remind them of how God had been with their ancestors for 40 years while they wandered through the wilderness. And one part of this festival, they take water and they pour it out all over the altar to remind the the Jews that uh, God provided water from a rock when their people needed it the most. So it's in this context with water on the brain of these people when Jesus gets up and cries out, These words, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. The water that God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness was always meant to point to something greater. And that's what Jesus is pointing to right here. And then he's got this remark, this living water that's gonna be coming out from you. And if anyone's wondering like, what does that even mean? John, who wrote this, gives a little explanation. By this, he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Out of their inner being, is going to be this spirit that ends up providing living water, life coming, Jesus' life coming right out of them. And this is where the passage touches on something that's future. It's looking toward, toward a time when that's going to happen, when Jesus is glorified. So let's actually jump forward to that time because it's a good example, really, of somebody believing in themselves and then trusting Jesus for where the Spirit is leading them. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. You can flip to there or open your phone, go to Acts chapter 1 if you like. We're going to be there for the rest of our time this morning. We've got the four gospels in the New Testament that tell us about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then we've got the book of Acts right after that, which tells what happens to the followers of Jesus, to the disciples after Jesus dies, is resurrected, and then is seated at the right hand of God when he is glorified, which is what John was talking about. Now, at the beginning of Acts, Jesus is actually there in the story. And he's kind of giving his final words to his disciples. And he says, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait there for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses throughout the world. And so the disciples, they go to Jerusalem and they're in a room and they're waiting. But it's hard to wait. It's hard to wait and see what's going to happen. And so what we end up seeing is that Peter, who's kind of the leader of the bunch, he's looking around going, well, there were 12 of us. Judas is gone. 
we should probably solve that problem. And here's what Peter ends up doing. Verse 21, he says, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Peter looks at the situation and he goes toward his experiences in the past to determine what kind of decisions he needs to make in that moment. Jesus chose 12 disciples. We're missing one. It's a good number, 12. We should probably replicate that. Here, I've got some verses that will help me justify my decision to do that thing. And you know what? We could take care of it right now. We'll use the standard methods that we have seen proven to work before. We'll say a quick prayer to God, and then we'll cast lots. And so they do that thing. And the result is as expected. One of the people is chosen. Matthias becomes one of the disciples, one of the apostles. He had to meet certain criteria. Now, a lot is happening in this passage, a lot more that, uh, the, a lot of nuance that is there. But here's what I think I see is that Peter looks toward his own experiences of what he knows will work in order to bring about a proven outcome, one that he can expect because he's controlling the circumstances. This is something where he's saying, I can believe in myself to get this done. Something ends up happening, but the result is pretty underwhelming compared to what God had in mind in that situation. Placing our confidence in our own abilities and our own understanding ends up limiting what God can do in our lives because the outcome becomes something we can expect based on our past experiences of successes and failures. Now, was the result bad? It wasn't bad, but it was expected. And what Jesus often wants to do in our lives or what he leads us to is something that we can't expect we can't anticipate. So there are some questions that we need to ask ourselves. Are there ways that you use proven methods in your life to bring about expected results? And are there times when the Holy Spirit 
is leading you into something that is a risk where you can't anticipate what might be coming. We do this kind of thing in church life all the time. If we play the music just right, then people will be moved. If we have the right programs in place, then people will stay connected. If we have a really good kids and students ministries, families will just keep coming. If I use the right meme at the right time, people are going to grow in their understanding of God. Personally, for me, the way that I believe in myself in unhealthy ways is that I try to convince myself that if I just work hard enough, that if I just put in the hours, that if I just keep pushing and pushing, I'll get the result that I want. You know what the truth is? I usually do. But is it the result that God wants? Is it what he is trying to do in my life? This story of Peter continues, and this is where we start to see a contrast between Peter believing in himself, trusting proven methods, and looking to God. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, another, in, in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the part that John was talking about. And the disciples, they go out from the room there and they begin boldly proclaiming the message of Jesus. And Jerusalem is full of other people at this time because it's another one of those three main festivals where all of the Israelites would gather together. People have traveled from all these different places and even though they speak different languages, they're able to hear the message of Jesus in the language that they know. And Peter is the one who's really leading the charge here. He steps out and gives this speech as he proclaims who Jesus is as the Messiah and what he has done for everybody. And he's taking big risks in order to do this. In fact, he's gonna keep doing this in the rest of the story as the story continues on and the risks are gonna be pretty great for him. He's gonna end up being arrested. He's gonna be harassed by the religious leaders. He's going to be beaten and he even has to justify his decisions to other followers of Jesus when he tells non-Jewish people about Jesus, the Messiah. Confidence in Jesus' sacrifice and trusting the Holy Spirit's leading moves us toward risk. What Peter tried produced an expected result. 
what he did previously. But what God did produced an unexpected result that was pretty significant. And this is the kind of thing that we see in story after story in scripture, that God calls people to do something risky, but he also always promises to be with that person as he calls them out into something that is risky. Now, I don't know about you. Everybody's got like their own kind of risk tolerance, right? Some people uh, are pretty tolerant of risk. Some people are pretty risk averse. You're either going to move toward it or not. I'm like right in the middle somewhere. I don't always move toward risk, but every once in a while, there are times when I have moved toward risk and I've seen God show up in those moments. Just a couple of stories for you. One was when I moved from California to Bend. It was 2003 and it was March and I came up to Bend uh, in order to go snowboarding on vacation. And the entire trip back to California, I just kept thinking, what do I need to do in order to move to this place that is so incredible? Now, I was not a follower of Jesus at the time, but I believe that God was working in my life. And so I made some phone calls when, uh, when I got back from my vacation, and within a few months in June, I had moved up, found a new, uh, transferred with my work, uh, and moved up to Bend. I did not know a single person in Bend. It was a big risk for me to relocate into a whole new place. But you know what? Even though I didn't know anybody there, I did meet somebody. I met Jesus. It was in Bend where God really revealed himself to me, and I became a follower of Jesus. And everything changed at that point in my life. Another story of risk is soon after I became a follower of Jesus, I felt like I was called to ministry. I hadn't even read all of the Bible yet. And I certainly didn't have any education to support my journey of wanting to be in ministry, but I felt strongly that God was leading me to ministry. And so I ended up deciding to go back to school in order to be trained for ministry. Now, some of you have heard this before. I was a high school dropout. I dropped out my sophomore year, totally abysmally failed at school. I even tried junior college one time and just totally, totally failed. I was terrified to go back to school. It was a big risk for me. But God showed up in a way that he accomplished things during that time for me that I never could have done on my own. If I just believed in myself, it wouldn't have happened. But it was daily trusting God and where he was leading me that brought about the thing that I think God wanted to do in all of that time in my life. Living by faith means trusting enough to take steps forward in risk. When God is giving us an opportunity of risk, when he's leading us through the Holy Spirit to that place of risk before us, it takes a step of trust. It takes a step of faith to move forward into that area of risk. It's not living by faith 
if I use proven methods all the time to get expected results. If that's the way that I live by faith, Jesus is going to say something like this to me. Do you even lift? That's an old meme (laughs) with a meaning, but I think it fits there. My experiences aren't your experiences, and our experiences aren't Peter's experiences either. Each of us have our own experiences of the Holy Spirit leading us in some way in life. But we need to be asking these kinds of questions. Am I leaning on my own understanding of my past successes and failures to understand what's possible in my life and to make decisions in my life? In other words, am I believing in myself? Or am I following the leading of the Holy Spirit when God puts before me a situation that would cause me to take a step of faith and trust in him into something that is risky. And you can think about this in all areas of your life. Some of the big ones where the bigger risks tend to be for us are things like our finances. In what ways is the Holy Spirit leading us to risk some of where we're at financially? And when we trust God, when we trust the words of Jesus, that God is a a cattle on a thousand hills belong to him, and that we don't need to worry about tomorrow, we just need to worry about today, and that we just need to seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness, and that the rest of these things will be added to us. When we believe that, those words of Jesus... And then the Holy Spirit leads us into a place of risking something financially in order to maybe give to somebody else to benefit somebody else. We can do it with confidence, knowing that God is the one who has led us to do that and that he's the one who's going to end up providing for us as well. Or how about our relationships? Relationships are risky. The proven method for relationships is I'm just going to avoid that person because it's easier if I don't interact with them. Or I don't want to move toward reconciliation and forgiveness with this person over here because I risk being hurt. I'll be safer if I don't move in that direction. But when our identity is in Jesus and we know that we are the beloved of God, we're able to take steps forward in risk in our relationships, even when it can hurt because we're secure in the love of God. And God calls us toward those risky things in relationships. How about career? How many times do we hold up career as the most important thing? And if only you know, we can maintain the track that we're on for career. Now, this isn't all of us by any means at all. But what if God is calling toward a risk for your career that leads you into something for his kingdom? 
That may be you. And regardless of whether it is or not, all of us have to be willing to risk all of those things. Everything that we have when we're a follower of Jesus. Because wherever the Spirit leads us, whatever we may risk in that venture, we're going to want to follow because the result of it is going to be better than anything we can do by walking the proven track with expectations being met in some way. Sometimes Jesus leads us into risk. The, in the parables or in the, in the gospels, there's a parable that Jesus tells about this. No, it's not a parable. I'm mistaken. There's just a person who comes up to Jesus and it's the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes up and says, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Do not steal, do not murder, honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler is like, well, yeah, I've done all those things since I was a wee little lad. And so Jesus says, well, there's one thing that you lack. And here's how uh, Mark puts it in his gospel. Uh, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. The rich young ruler had proven methods of following the rules to be able to establish what he was doing in life and Jesus called him into a really big risk. Give it all up and come follow me. He went away dejected because he had many possessions. You can believe in yourself to get the same kind of results that you've always had, or you can trust the Spirit of God where the Spirit is leading you when the Spirit is putting something risky in front of you and you have the confidence to step forward in it, to not lean on your own understanding from your own experiences. The book of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. All of this series has been about moving attention away from ourselves and putting attention on Jesus. To trust less of, of believing in ourselves and instead faithfully trusting who Jesus is, even in times of risk. The thing to remember is that Jesus is not like Bigfoot. <laughs> Jesus isn't elusive. He's not trying to hide from you. He's not trying to be as secretive as he can. He doesn't show up in grainy videos. He's real, unlike Bigfoot. Oh, I think I offended somebody there. I'm sorry. It's a maybe. It's a maybe. Jesus is there. As he calls us into risk, he's present with us, watching over us, knowing we have to trust that he is good and that he wants good for us. Not always easy things, 
Not always the things that are the, the desires of our heart, but he wants goodness for us. He wants wholeness for us. And he's going to be with us as he leads us into the things that bring about that wholeness. Are we going to believe in ourselves and what we can bring about? Or are we going to believe and trust in where the Holy Spirit is leading? Let's pray. Jesus, we trust you. We love you. Um, I just pray, God, you'd help us to know how to trust you daily, each step of the way. I know that you still speak to us and lead us through your Holy Spirit, so I just pray you'd give us an openness in our hearts to really sense where you lead us, especially when there's risk involved. That you would help us to walk confidently, faithfully trusting you in where you're leading. And would you bring us wholeness as a result? Would you help us each step of the way? We trust you and we love you. Amen.